3: Live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square, this is The Big Show. Fast Money, I am Dominic Chew, in for Melissa Lee tonight. And your trader lineup for the evening, Dan Nathan, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, and Karen Feinerman, as you're seeing right there. Tonight on Fast, we are tracking the after-hours action and shares, of course, of Robinhood. Also, NVIDIA and Cisco as well. All three stocks on the move, as you can see right now on the heels of earnings reports. We are going to break down their respective quarters straight ahead. Plus, X marks the spot. <coughs> Shares of U.S. Steel in rally mode today, up four and quarter percent in the trade. How our traders are playing this 4% move higher. And later, one of our traders is calling this chart the best-looking one in the market right now. Why they think a breakout is building in that mystery chart name that's coming up. But we first start with that earnings triple play, as I just mentioned. Robinhood, NVIDIA, and Cisco all on the move in the after-hours session. Robinhood, by the way, down 5.5% on heavy volume after market. We've got full coverage team-wise of each of these names Christina Partzinevelis is standing by on those Cisco results. Josh Lipton is digging into NVIDIA. But let's start off with Leslie Picker and the latest out of Robinhood's first earnings report since becoming a public company. Leslie, why is the stock down?
4: Yeah, Dom, as you mentioned, down more than 5%. Now, Robinhood's top line more than doubling in the quarter, matching the estimated range it put forth in its IPO filings. However, a gloomy prognosis about a slowdown is sending shares lower in aftermarket trading. Robinhood in the release saying about Q3, quote, we expect seasonal headwinds and lower trading activity across the industry to result in lower revenues and considerably fewer new funded accounts than in the prior quarter. It's worth noting, Dom, the The company said something similar in its prospectus when it went public, but the refreshed warning seems to be spooking investors today. Crypto in focus in the release where a larger share of new customers placed their first trade in crypto than in equities. Robinhood said that 60% of its net cumulative funded accounts were trading in crypto during the second quarter. That certainly trickled down to the top line with transaction based crypto revenue accounting for $233 million in the second quarter compared with just 5 million dollars a year ago now there was also a decline in the average revenue per user figure down about three dollars to 112 in the quarter compared with the same time last year dom
3: all right leslie picker thank you very much for that so let's trade some of that robin hood action right now if we take a look at this guy i'll start with you on my left I, i mean this is a stock that has been very much a focus of so much trader attention because of the volatility that we've seen Is this a dip that's worth buying for those traders out there?
5: I think so. And First of all, it's great to have you. Second of all, I follow you on the Twitter. And each morning you put out your top tickers. Like, what are people watching? And I happen to notice that Robinhood seems to be on that every single day. And listen, it is down big, but it's not even down as much as it was up during the day. So we're effectively unchanged from yesterday's close. People are going to say too much crypto, 89% now, Dan, crypto in terms of revenue, 63% of Dogecoin. But Redburn and analyst put out a, a note today. They said the average customer account is going to be north of $8,000 in a few years. And oh, by the way, they think they can get up close to 40 million accounts. Now, I don't necessarily
3: get it, but I see what's going on in the world. And I think you buy the dip here in hood. So Dan, I mean, 2.7 million shares have already changed hands in just the after hour session right now. It shows that there's a lot of interest. There's no doubt there's a yeah. lot of interest here. Is this one of those situations, though, where you kind of wait for things to settle down, maybe give it a day or two before you kind of jump in a little bit?
6: I, I'm not sure there's something so compelling about owning this thing. This is like we called it last week. I think the meme stock mm. machine became a meme stock. You know what I mean? And so at the end of the day, if you are long a meme stock, that's good. There's a lot of CEOs who want their stocks um, to become meme stocks. I don't think these guys want their stock to become a meme stock because with that comes a lot of scrutiny. I think the focus on Crypto is really important. Last year in Q2, I think they had five million dollars in revenues from that. Q one, they had eighty-seven million dollars in revenue that. This one, 233, and a lot of that is Doge. I don't know if Doge is real or not. I know people like to trade it because it's like a penny stock, um, but that is not something that I'd want to build a business on. The other aspect of it is options. And we know that this company has a kind of checkered history with options trading, gamifying it. When I look at those assets under management, 102 billion, and I look at those funded accounts around 22 billion, I can do guy. You can even do that, man. Mm. It's about forty five hundred dollars. Whoever Red Yard or Red Beard or whoever Red said burn they're going to have eight thousand dollar average account. That's still minuscule. And the, this is a gaming app. That's what this is. Throw it in your FanDuel DraftKings sort of category. That's what's going on here. It's not investing.
3: Karen Feinerman, I mean, we've talked a lot about the gamification of some of these types of platforms here. And we do know from Robin Hood kind of anecdotal evidence and now even some of the evidence that we've seen in disclosures that a lot of it was timed around stimulus payments last year during the COVID pandemic. Is there a hope that Robinhood grows its user base and gets more money per funded account, even without government assistance being put in there, so that this does become more of a gamification-type situation?
7: Well, I think it is a gamification-type situation already, and there is a lot of hope of hope in it already that this isn't just a, you know, uh, a COVID kind of, um, you know, beneficiary in that the hope is that this is the new generation of traders, investors. But I mean, even the interface is sort of a gamification. So it's really not for me. The stock being down, I don't think is, I mean, they, they just came public three weeks ago, and the stock's about 25% higher than where it came public. And they did give some guidance that you know, was not wildly different than where we are. So it's selling off a little bit is actually I don't think that's I don't think that's a bad reaction. The whole thing, though, is not for me. It is kind of, you know, I think of it as stock in the company that makes the magic beans, because I you know, if we don't continue to see this kind of market, I think it'll be um, a difficult valuation here. The one other thing, you know, I don't like something that's so concentrated in it's um, where they get the revenue from. And also this, you know, pay for order flow. That to me is kind of a, a bigger risk that I wouldn't want to take.
3: All right. So, so, Tim, let's kind of button this thing up. It's one of the hot trending stories right now on our website. Dan kind of mentioned it. Robinhood says Dogecoin accounted for 62 percent of crypto revenues in the second quarter. Also, by the way, crypto accounted for more than half of all transaction-based sales in the quarter. Is Robinhood better or worse than Coinbase with regard to people wanting to take a view on the cryptocurrency sphere, if you will?
1: Well, I don't know if it's better or worse, Dom, but, but I, I, I don't see why having a predominant amount of the revenue coming from crypto trading is a bad thing. Don't we all believe on this desk that, that crypto trading is only going to increase in size and breadth and institutional prowess? Don't we also believe that most of the trends that we saw pre-COVID, you know, as it related to both Internet trends and stay at home and e-commerce are things that are just you know, punctuated, accentuated, et cetera, Yeah. Robinhood was a story we were talking about three years ago. We were talking about their disruption. Now, maybe you're disappointed in where their growth has been. But but but, you know, being so critical that uh, they developed faster in covid and that crypto has become a bigger part of their revenue stream. That doesn't bother me. I mean, there's going to be a a Dom coin coming next or, you know, it's Dogecoin, Dom coin. I don't care what (laughs) coin it is. Um, I think you're going to see them get a majority at least, of, of those revenues coming from crypto. And that doesn't bother me. Guy brought up the, uh, essentially the account size and where it may be in a couple of years. Look, the problem is that the account size is about $2,500. That's not very impressive. And yes, stimulus checks were part of the gamification of the market. But remember, Robinhood carved out a major niche uh, in this marketplace well before stimulus checks came out. And I think that's, that's what you're banking on with the subscriber growth.
3: All right. Sell that Dom coin right away, guys, if you ever get that stuff. <laughs> you know. All right. Let's 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 get more on this Robin Hood quarter here. We'll bring in venture capitalist Rick Heitzman, founder and managing partner of First Capital. I, I mean, first of all, Rick, I don't know if you've heard the conversation that we've had for the last five minutes or so here with regard to the pros and cons and what we should do with those Robin Hood shares. But I, I'd like to get your take are you sure, happy yeah. about this result or, or are you disappointed like the rest of the market is right now down 7% pre or after hours?
8: Well, I look at it a little bit like the way Guy did. Uh, this is a very volatile stock. It's going to be up and down 5% as any meme stock is. So this could turn around overnight and, and the stock could be up in the morning. So I'm less concerned about the immediate reaction. And I probably tend to agree more with Tim that, you know, this is a stock. That's early in its development. You know, it, was, it was doing well prior to the pandemic as folks were looking at this or a Coinbase or a public as the new way for their generation to access the public markets. And this is the beginning of a long, long, long arc of financial services turning over to the next generation of companies.
3: So, so the next generation is, I, I think, what a lot of folks are focusing on with regard to the trade in Robinhood. This is, the, this is about the democratization, if you will, right, uh, about bringing <laughs> investing to, to more and more folks out there. We know by the average account size that there are more people who aren't just, you know, the, 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 the six or seven figure kind of folks out there who are actually yeah. getting more involved. That's a good thing. But my question is, how much more can it grow? In in, in the way that it's, I mean, the the model is payment for order flow. The model is giving away better access. But is it one where you can get more people involved?
8: I think you can get more people involved. Like every other asset management platform, you hope the wallet share grows over time. The thing I was looking for that I couldn't find was the average age of a Robinhood account holder versus the average age of a Charles Schwab or, or Merrill Lynch. And my guess is, These are much younger people with a much smaller net worth that that's going to grow over time as they grow and they mature and the wallet size naturally will go up. And, you know, if this is no different than the people, the early folks giving credit cards to college students and building that relationship as that grows over time, Robinhood will be their uh, preferred financial partner.
6: So, Rick, you, you just mentioned um, the average age. And, you know, we had this discussion about the gamification of this. And I think that is really the innovation, if you will. And I'm going to do that in air quotes here. You were an early investor in DraftKings. And I, I suspect you're still an investor there. Do you see the sort of gamification? Do it look similar to you when you think when you look at your iPhone and you look at these apps and you look at what people are doing on them? Does that make sense to think of it as, as maybe at that size of an account? Does it make sense to think about it as more of a gaming um, app than a investment app.
8: It, do, it does feel gamey. I, I, I agree with you. I've heard you guys talk about the confetti when you do a trade, looking for those little adrenaline or dopamine hits. So I feel I feel like it's a little bit gamey, but I would put um, Robinhood in that Coinbase type account, Coinbase type of bucket, which has similar gamification. You know, you're winning, you're losing, it's red, it's green, no different than the rest of the market. You're trying to think about it in terms of growing your net worth. But my guess is Robin Hood. I would hope that Robin Hood would slow down the things like the confetti balls to make it seem like this is kind of a
3: serious way that you're going to manage your money. All right. That's Rick Heisman. Thank you very much for that and those thoughts. We appreciate it. All right. Let's trade around those thoughts here, guys. I mean, uh, and maybe, Karen, I'll start with you on this one first. You heard Rick's comments When you do want to buy Robin Hood, if you do, at these levels, it's because you feel as though the future is brighter. What does Robin Hood have to turn into to make it more of an attractive, longer-term, secular story?
7: Uh, I think it has to turn into the Charles Schwab of this generation, so it won't be called Charles Schwab. I think Robin Hood, they picked a great name. I think, you know, sort of passing the baton from the, you know, the rich to the uh, not-yet-wealthy is really, you know, it's a very good marketing tool. Uh, you have to sort of expect that and think that those, that wallet will grow, as he talked about. But I just sort of am concerned about this is a, you know, it's a, it's a stock that trades well because other, stock trades, other stocks trade well. That universe, obviously, the meme stocks is huge for them. But I wonder, in a down market like we saw in a 99-2000, what that will do so to me, that's one of the risks. And the other one, the payment for order flow that I can't get around that. I would not short this, though. Not long, but I would not short it.
3: It's a tough one to, for anyone to kind of take a huge position on. All right. That's the, that does it for Robinhood. We've got a couple of the others to get to here. Let's turn to NVIDIA. That stock right now, I'm just looking at my screen up about two and a quarter percent, two and a half million shares of after hours volume. Josh Lipton has the details on NVIDIA. Josh
9: so, Don, remember heading into this report, that stock had ripped higher. It surged about 50% so far this year. Of course, that far, far, far outperforms the SMH. It was only about 5% from its all-time high. Now, in the after hours, heading higher here. Turning to the results, beats on the bottom and the top. For Q3, guidance for revenue of about $6.8 billion. That's versus expectations of $6.5 billion. And guiding for non-GAAP gross margins of about 67% versus expectations of 66%. Spoke with Matt Bryson over at WebBush. He says Q2 was a strong quarter led by the data center. The forecast was better than the street expected with steady gross margin guidance. There were high expectations heading into this print, though, Matt says, but this stock trucking higher right now. And there still is, Matt says, of course, some uncertainty about whether that ARM acquisition is ultimately approved. On the call, CFO Colette Kress saying Q2 was strong. Records for total revenue in gaming data center and professional visualization. Gaming demand is outpacing supply, she says. As for cryptocurrency mining and those new chips just for miners that they introduced, revenue 270. $66 million. That is lower than the original estimate on reduced mining profitability, she says. They expect minimal contribution going forward. Remember, crypto is not a core business for NVIDIA, but it can help or hurt results on a given quarter. And then for the data center, she says growth was driven by those big cloud customers and vertical industries like financial services and telecom. Dom, back to you.
3: All right, Josh Lippin, thank you very much for that. Now, uh, Tim Seymour, let me let me turn to you. It's hard to for me to maybe not make the, the the connection here but nvidia at one point was one of those derivative plays on the cryptocurrency market because some of the chips that they make were used in some of these mining rigs to to get things like bitcoin out there and ethereum and whatnot this is a stock that's up i'm, I'm looking at my screen 55 percent over the last 12 months is nvidia a crypto story still
1: no no, I mean, it. it's a gaming and data center story. And I think it imputes upon even Seagate and Western Dig. I mean, it, the crypto has been a driver along the road. Reminded, this is the stock that's up 350% over the last couple of years. Um, but coming into this print was actually below the, the 50 day for the first time since I think May or so. So it's it's been a little bit heavy along with all semiconductors. Yes, uh, crypto mining has, has certainly been a feature for this stock. Um, it hasn't been the feature. Gaming up 85%. That that's the story. That's a $3 billion business now and data center where they are competing in a in a competitive, uh, but a place where I think they, they can do it from a strength. So uh, the valuation is what matters here, and it's not great, um, but they've rewarded the high growth uh, to this point.
3: Guy Adami, it's $475 billion or thereabouts in market cap, speaking of valuation. It's the biggest chip company pretty much out there. Is it one where you feel as though you can still grow with that investment and buy in now and feel good about it? I think so. I mean, gaming and
5: data center, you know, 5 billion of the 6.8 billion. Without question, both those numbers are better than expected. Margins now, gross margins now close to 67%. You know, NVIDIA, over the last couple of years, you've had quarters where they've disappointed in a major way. This is not one of those quarters. Now, the armchair technicians out there, the Carter worst of the world, who, by the way, is brilliant, will say you have a major double top around 208 from the July high, the recent high. We absolutely have to get through that. This should be the quarter, in my opinion, that gets us there. All right. Dan, you like it? NVIDIA right now, given what we've seen over the last year? You look
6: at those results. You look at that guidance. You think about where the stock is, up 45%. You just said $475 billion market cap. You can't, there's nothing to shake a stick at. I mean, it's great results. Here's the only thing. It's expected to grow earnings and sales next year about 10-11% each. It trades about 17 times sales and it trades about 43 times earnings. So it's a massive outlier in the group. Um, It's driven a lot of the performance in the group, that um, and AMD, but you see Intel, you see Taiwan Semi, there's a whole host of other names that act very poorly. So you had a failed breakout in the SMH. I suspect tomorrow morning if this thing opens up and we have the sort of after morning that we had like this afternoon, it's not going to stay green for very long and and, and to guys' point, it ripped into these earnings. I mean, it ripped into these earnings. So could you see the stock back towards 175, 180? It makes sense. I have a short-term bearish bet, so I'm kind of talking my little book on that one. But um, to me, I think big cap tech was waiting for this last one. Um, did you see uh, Apple gave it up a little bit towards the end of the day today? That was kind of trading at all-time highs here to me. So I, I think we're probably ready for a little bit of a pullback.
3: All right, decade. let's turn now, guys, to Cisco. That stock is on the move as well after earnings. We'll bring in Christina Parts She's got the latest there. Christina.
0: Well, let's forget those routers and servers because Cisco right now is one of the world's largest software companies. And as more companies shift to the hybrid model, Cisco stands to benefit through the sale of its cybersecurity and teleconferencing products. So the company beat estimates on the top and bottom line. But on the earnings call, the CEO just said Cisco expects supply challenges and cost impacts to continue through at least the first half of their fiscal year and potentially into the second half. The company started in increasing product prices on August 7th. And the CEO just acknowledged, too, the supply chain imbalances can create uncertainties for gross margins. And there might be, well, we can say somewhat disappointing results in its specific categories. you got Cisco's infrastructure platforms. Revenues was up a 13% year-over-year, so that was good. But applications was down 1%, and security grew 1%, which was lower than expected, and versus other peer results. Looking ahead, though, Cisco called for about a 5 to 7% growth in the new fiscal year after supply constraints cut into sales of its data center hardware, such as Ethernet switches. But the slight beat was not that much enough, or somewhat enough to impress shareholders. The stock is down 1%. It was worse before. So that's why I'm doing the uh, thing. Back to you, Dom.
3: Uh, thing is a technical, that's a technical, ter- technical term, term Christina. Parts of eh. Netflix. Thank you very right. much for that. All right, Guy Adami, uh, I, I thought in the maybe over the last 16 months or so that Cisco is one of the, going to be those huge COVID plays, right? The ones that are going to benefit a lot because everyone's staying at home, everyone's using those routers and switches more often and whatnot. It didn't get as much juice as other parts of the market did. Is Cisco still a story about the next generation of work at home, stay at home and everything else? It was until this
5: run up to 59. And we talked about a double top in NVIDIA over the last couple of months. Well, you go back in July 2019, Cisco topped out at 59 and collapsed. Well, here we are again, seemingly a failed Is it a story? Absolutely. Do you buy the stock here? I don't think so. I think this stock has significant room to the downside. I wouldn't be surprised to see it with a high 40 stand of half, 49. And you look at it there. This quarter, in my opinion, was not good enough to get it through that $59 level.
3: Dan, I mean, what do you think? Is is this still a play? I mean, first of all, Cisco is probably one of those handful of companies that hasn't really yet broken out above its dot-com era highs and whatnot. It's still kind of languishing there. Is there Is there a case to be made that this deserves to be? at a more premium valuation than it is right now? Not really.
6: I mean, you made a really good point, though, some of those names that kind of powered all that work from home and that school from home, that sort of thing. And they had these huge runs. Well, most of them topped out when the vaccine announcements came in the fall, if you think about it, November, December. And then we had one last push in February. Look at some of those things like Fastly and Zoom. And you know you know all the names. The fact that this stock is trading near a 52-week high, it probably speaks to the fact that valuation is pretty cheap. We know that software, I think somebody in this discussion just mentioned has become a greater recurring software revenue has been a greater um, percentage of the whole. So that's why if it gets re-rated, that's why it's here right now. But I don't think there was anything in that quarter or that guide that says you're going to take it through those uh, prior highs.
3: All right. Cisco shares lower in the aftermarket right now. Coming up, guys, the market's recovery since the pandemic bottom has been nothing short of extraordinary. But not everyone has come along for the ride. Speaking of, we are digging into those names that have been left behind in the dust. Are they due for a catch-up trade? We'll find out in a game of trade it or fade it. You know you love it. But first, the real read on retail. Three big name reporting results today. We are breaking down the action for some of those stocks when Fast Money returns after this.
6: You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft and performance with Acura's all electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.
2: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy.
3: Welcome back to Fast Money. What you're seeing there is a mixed bag for retail earnings reports. The hot ones, Lowe's and TJX, both delivering upside surprises. The home improvement chain and discount retailer, respectively, surging on quarterly results. But Target shares coming under pressure despite a big beat. The retailer bracing for meteoric online sales growth to normalize. Nobody likes to hear those words. Karen, Trader's Choice, which of these three names do you want to talk about today? I leave it to you.
7: Well, any I'm long all three of them. Um, to me, let's talk about Lowe's, because I thought that was sort of interesting. Lowe's, I think, had the benefit of being down substantially yesterday on the heels of Home Depot, and they came out with numbers that were better than expected. They had a lot of good things going for it. Um, you know, the, um, their expenses were good. They gave some guidance on their longer-term EBIT that the street really liked. They seemed to have a lot of momentum, and there was a concern that Home Depot had better... Um, uh, better contractor revenue um, and you know uh, supplying builders and and lowe 's has shown that they 're making good headway there so there 's a lot that 's going right at lowe 's the valuation 's a little rich, but um, i wouldn 't i wouldn 't sell it here, so that one was sort of interesting to me. The one thing also that was interesting to me was. Many times they talked about appliances and how they got strength there and how they're also uh, being more efficient in delivering appliances. But that didn't seem to matter for Whirlpool, which I like, which I think is just trading at what I call peak washing machine, because it doesn't matter how cheap it is. It doesn't really seem to uh, get to new highs. So those were that was the most interesting to me was lows.
3: Now, now, okay. so the home improvement, I mean, the contractor trade was was big for both Home Depot and Lowe's, this idea that they're getting more of the professionals in there for that one. But 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 Karen, would you mind if I just asked you quickly about Target? Uh, Everybody's been so focused on the e-commerce numbers. Did you find them disappointing? I'm also putting it in context because it was down 3% today in regular trading after going up 80% over the course of the past 12 months, one of those real pandemic winners in terms of shopping trends. Is Target still one of those stocks that you like to own?
7: Yes, Target is a big position for me, but we talk a lot about going into earnings. The expectations were very high, and they met those expectations, maybe even exceeded those expectations, but after a run, like you said, It's just not enough. And that's okay. I'm not going to sell my target into earnings because I think maybe the street will be somewhat disappointed and sell it off. Then i got to figure out when am I going to get back in. i got to try to do that at a good price. And I have to make up enough gap to have paid the taxes on realized gains. I'm nowhere near that good. That's three decisions you have to make, two decisions. You have to get out. You have to get back in at the right time. I can hardly make one good decision. So making two is nearly impossible. If you step back and look at Target and look at the transformation of their business, the revenue is great. They got expenses under control. I'm happy to own it. It's not cheap, but it's not expensive for what it is. It was cheaper. That's the only thing that, you know, is weighing on it.
3: What do you think, Guy? I mean, out of those three today, did anyone resonate with you, strike that tuning fork?
5: So I'm going to go off the board in a second, but I want to say Karen makes great decisions all the time. The decision to have that leopard couch or the zebra couch with that that wall behind you is brilliant. I mean, I'm not an interior designer, but I would have done the exact same thing. It does look pretty good. Number one. Number two, I think Lowe's, to Karen's point, was a beneficiary of selling off in such a meaningful way on the back of Home Depot. People just got themselves off sides. I actually would be inclined to be taking profits here in lows, And if you're looking for a retailer... Dollar Gen into earnings next week, to me, sets up really well. I do think you're going to start to see analysts raise numbers. That's the one I would
3: go off the board for $500, please, Dom. I mean, Dollar Tree, you've got Best Buy, a lot of those earnings reports coming out next week as well. All right, sticking with retail, don't miss Jim Cramer's exclusive interview with the CEO of Lowe's, Marvin Ellison. That's coming up at the top of the hour on Mad Money, a must-watch interview I'm sure he's going to ask all about that pro contractor business that they've got going there at Lowe's. And be sure to catch CNBC's next Evolve live stream. Our own Courtney Reagan is sitting down with the CEOs of Kohl's and Chewy. Now, both of those retailers are dealing with supply chain issues, staffing, labor shortages, shifting consumer demands and trends, and more. It gets underway this Tuesday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Go over to cnbcevents.com/evolve to register for those big conversations. Well, we are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here is what's coming up.
8: It's been a big climb for stocks since the pandemic lows, but not everyone's made the track. We're digging into the names left behind with a good old game of trade it or fade it. Plus, may the force be with you. Dan Nathan is breaking down what he says is the best looking chart in the market. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns.
3: Welcome back to Fast Money. Markets staging a late-day sell-off with major indices closing near the lows of the day. Now, the move comes after the latest Fed minutes revealed the central bank is starting to discuss, starting to discuss, winding down its stimulus programs. The S&P, by the way, now down nearly 2% from Monday's record high levels. But take a look at this. Mm. Today marks exactly one year, guys. Mm. One year since the S&P recovered all of the losses it got from the pandemic sell-off. And then since then, the index has rallied an astonishing 30% on top of that, but not every stock has come along for the ride. Check out the moves and names like Clorox, Las Vegas Sands, Newmont Mining, AT&T, and even Amazon.com, not just lagging the broader market, but actually down over the course of the past 12 months. So are any of these names ready to play catch-up? Let's find out with a game of... Trade it. it. You know you love it. Guy's already, he's getting ready here, guys. Let's start off with Clorox. The one-time pandemic winner down more than 25% in the past year. Guy, because you were hooting and hollering here next to me. Clorox. Trade it. Or fade it. One of my favorite all-time fast money games. I'm going to play correctly. Trade it. Now,
5: I know I'm going to get added on Twitter and people are like, you're out of your mind, which clearly I am. But the quarter was a disaster on August 3rd. The guidance was even worse for the full year, uh, the next year coming uh, forward. Why would I say trade this? Because the stock is completely washed out. We're actually traded down to levels that we broke out from in November of 2019. And I respect the CEO, Linda Rendell, who went on Jim's show that night and talked about the quarter and talked about the prospects for the company. So
3: I think you can trade it here. I think it's flushed out enough, Dom. You know, it's interesting. I was at the grocery store the other day, and this is the time to stockpile wipes because they're plentiful everywhere. And not just that, getting marked down. So maybe, I don't know. Just tells you investing isn't the same as consumer buying things. All right, Karen, what, what do you think? What are we feeling like here in terms of Clorox? Uh,
7: well, I hate being on the other side of Guy, but I'm going to fade it. And oh. as you Uh-oh. said, I mean, part of what was wrong in the quarter was pricing, right? Where they have inflationary pressures on the raw material side and supply issues, but they're not able to pass along prices for just the reason that you said. And so, yes, it's come in a lot. But oh my God, when you think of front loading or, or channel stuffing—or not that they were stuffing the channel at all—just the the consumer trends, the consumer tastes have obviously changed. It was one of the most highly coveted products, maybe ever, last <laughs> year. And at 28 times, you know, I feel like you know the CEO is great, but she, you know this is this is a macro thing that's out of her control. So. For me, if we see rates going up, if the Fed starts to move and multiples come in, it's not like Clorox is dirt cheap. The only thing, guys,
3: that I thought was harder to find than Clorox wipes was Lysol spray. And so maybe Reckitt Benckiser is one of those places. (laughs) All right. Anyway, that's it for for Clorox. Traded or faded. Newmont corporations down nearly 16 percent in the last 12 months. Dan, Newmont gold, trade or fade? Yeah, I'm fading this. I know that we've had a lot of, um,
6: you know, discussion Uh, about gold and and how it's traded over the last year. If you look at uh, just gold, the GLD, the ETF, the tracks, the shiny metal, and you just draw a line in the upper left and down to the the bottom right here, you know, Newmont has kind of gone that way over the last few months or so. Um, If you're going to play gold, maybe play the miners. That's what I keep hearing from all you smart gold bugs. Um, But I'm just fading this
3: thing. I think you probably see this retest those prior lows. Uh Oh, now, Tim Seymour, do you Agree. Trade or fade Newmont Corp?
1: I'm going to trade it. Uh, I think that's how the way this game works. You pick someone who's on the other side of somebody else. And I, I'm on the other side of Dan on this one. Uh, you've heard me talk about miners of all kinds over the last couple years have. They're just much better run companies. There's not CapEx to, to, to the moon. There's not OpEx to the moon. And in fact, Newmont is a profitable company. Uh, the price of gold is perplexing. In fact, we're, you know, we're down 18, 19 percent from the highs. Central bank mania is still very much intact. Yeah, maybe a stronger dollar. Yeah. you know, But you also have inflation and other hedges. Gold is not disappeared, even if Bitcoin stolen some of its thunder. And I think we're going to see a rally in gold as well. But I like miners just on
3: what they do. They mine. They do it better. All right, it's down 16 percent over the last 12 months. There, moving on to AT and T, losing more than six percent. Karen Feinerman, is T still a buy?
7: T, I think, is a trade. Actually, I mean, you know, there's a lot to hate about it, except the valuation and the dividend. And you know, though, I think they'll be the beneficiary of uh, the uh, of iPhone sales. So there's that. Um, the balance sheet, of course, is is an issue. Um, But I think at some point it's just so cheap and it might be there right now that I don't see how you fade this one. So I'm I'm trading it.
3: The trade, because it does have a seven and a half percent dividend yield guy. What are you doing with T? Well, look, if you
5: watch the show, which you clearly do, AT&T has been (laughs) grim death now literally for the last 10, 11 years in terms of stock. And it can't get of its own way market that continues to make all-time highs seemingly every day. And this is a stock that's basically been $30 for six years until ah. now when it's $28. So I don't think there's any compelling reason. Karen brought up valuation. She's right. But I'd rather be in T-Mobile. So now I'm playing a game
3: within a game. Oh. A would you rather during trade Trader or fade? Faded. You're going to confuse T-Mobile. all of us. T-Mobile. All right. Even despite the packing stuff we've been talking about. All right. Las Vegas Sands down nearly 20% over the last year. Tim Seymour, trade or Trader fade.
1: Yeah, I'm going to trade it. Uh, and the stock is, is basically trading back near those lows. And, and, you know, it's it's incredible when you actually see where we started to get with Vegas traffic, the, the pricing and the margins in their business, I think, is something exciting. They have exposure to online sports betting and iGaming. Um, but but, you know, look, the, the headwinds from the Delta variants have been cr- Just crushing for anything in a reopening trade, but specifically to casinos, cruise lines, etc. We've seen this movie before. This is the right level to buy LVS, Dom. Trade it. Down 20% in the last
3: year. All right, folks, thank you very much for this latest edition of Trader Fade. Coming up on the show, a force to be reckoned with. One of our traders calling this one of the best-looking charts in the market right now. That's what you're seeing. We're breaking down that mystery name coming up. Plus, a big call on Viacom, one top analyst going big-time bullish on that stock. Should you be streaming into this name? See what I did there? The traders are giving their takes when Fast Money returns after this commercial break. Welcome back to Fast Money. That's the mystery chart. It's a software stock that's escaped today's tech sell-off. It's already up about 13% this year. It's modest, but it's still positive. And Dan Nathan says it could be one of the best looking charts in the market. The best looking charts. Dan, what is this? One stock?
6: of the you know, listen, Dom, you heard uh guys mention before armchair quarterback and then and then Carter Braxton Worth. No, no, I'm the armchair technician. He is the <laughs> professional. And when I say things like that's the best looking chart in the market, there's really very little credence to it. But here's the thing. You see that consolidation here? Like you said, it's underperformed the NASDAQ and some of its um, SAS sort of peers. They just closed on that Slack deal, which I did like. They report earnings next week, August 25th here. I like that consolidation here. I like the fact it's back up to that March high near 250. Look at that. If you get a breakout here on good fundamental news, you're going to be Marching back
5: towards, I don't know, what is that high guy? 280, 285 ish? You I better hope know. you march back, Dom Chu, because again, we talked about, th- we've mentioned double tops a few times. <laughs> well, this is setting up to be one into earnings on the 25th. I see what Dan's looking at, but what Dan failed to mention that this is a stock that's now trading close to 60 times 60 next year's numbers. With Dan on the earnings front we'll to back that up, so maybe you get to 285. You sell with both hands if it gets there. Oh
3: wow, Whoa. wow! All right, I like this. Larger. I like the I, I like the passion here. Well, that's, that's what this show's about. <laughs> it's about energy
5: and passion. It is
3: all right. All right. So Tim, I, I just want to get a quick thought from you as well. Is Salesforce a compelling software trade? Is it a catch-up with the rest of that software, like, like Microsoft? Can it catch Microsoft?
1: Uh, like D- Dan's passion is, is certainly impressive. The hyperbole around the greatest chart, you know, of all time. I, I don't know. No, that's not what he said. Um, Look, I I think CRM, after first queue and the guide into this this quarter and the channel checks you're hearing out of enterprise and consumer, very, very strong growth in their operating margin up to 18 percent. Not expensive relative to the peer group. Expensive, as Guy points out, but 35 times EV to free cash flow. I like it.
3: He likes it. All right, two to one so far. I get, I, I get it. I get it. It's fine. It's that. passionate. I like that. All right, coming up in the show, analysts are getting bullish on Viacom, saying this one's heading, quote unquote, all the way up. We'll break down that big call coming up next. Plus, shares of U.S. deals X marks the spot. We're in rally mode today. Options traders are betting this climb is going to continue. That trade and more when Fast comes back after this. Welcome back. This is Fast Money. Mm-hmm. Check out shares of Viacom CBS, guys, rallying more than 3% today on the back of a big upgrade. Wells Fargo is raising its over rating to overweight from equal weight prior, saying the company is poised to benefit from industry consolidation. Wells also bullish on the upcoming programming slate for Viacom's Paramount Plus streaming service. Karen, is this very much now, like Disney was a year or two ago, a streaming story?
7: I think it is a streaming story, but also, as you mentioned, I think it's a potential consolidation story. And uh, I think uh, Dan and I pitched this together in a very rare dual fast pitch probably the stock was right around here. So I like it. I thought the piece was interesting. They talked about how you could maybe use a Hulu-esque kind of multiple and get a big number like 60. So they talked about, you know, this used to be a show me story. Well, they've shown me, this was the analyst speaking, they've shown me with the um, the subscription growth and they're forecasting 70 million uh, paid subscribers and another 76 million advertising-based subscribers by the end of next year. So that would be very good growth if that happens. And I kind of think there is something to the consolidation story, right? We saw Amazon with MGM. We saw Discovery and Time Warner. We know that there are some sort of talks occasionally going on. And we saw that Comcast Viacom uh, deal for uh, um, streaming uh, in the UK, I believe it was. But uh, I like it. I think the stock's not expensive. I believe the consolidation story is happening. And I think. They would be a target.
3: Yeah, Karen, Sky Showtime. That's the new joint venture with uh, you know our parent company Comcast, and then of course what's happening with Viacom CBS. Uh, Tim Seymour, I'll turn to you here for another another take on this. Uh, back in the heyday earlier this year, this was a hundred dollar stock. You're looking at the quote right now; it's just about forty some odd dollars a share. Does it ever get back to where it was? We know that there were a lot of technical reasons why that stock was a hundred dollar stock back earlier this year. Arcigo's everything else around it, but forty dollars and forty-seven cents. It was a hundred at one point. Was it ever justified at a hundred?
1: No, that was a gift, and, and and I think it was. It was a meme stock. It was an Arcigo stock, and, and there were factors that I don't think you're going to see fundamentals equate to. Um, but Karen laid out really good thoughts on that. Their streaming business, and look, let's let's be clear. The Paramount Plus story has been impressive. I love the fact that this JV with Comcast, uh, our parent company, uh, is something that gets them into a bundling dynamic, partnering up with other great content around the world. And this is a story that I think a lot of the other streaming players will continue to do. I think you will see the great irony is as, as the cable and linear TV world sort of blows up, Uh, you know, you're seeing some of the same folks bundle together at this time in control of their own pipes and their own streaming DTC. I I like that story, um, but I don't think it changes Viacom CBS overnight. And and in fact, um, I think there's upside here. I think the stock's been dead money. It's not going anywhere near 100 anytime soon. I'll probably eat those words, but that's what I think. Just wait, guys, because at some point, Can I just next- add one thing. Yes, Can I please, just a- add one Karen. thing to that question? Karen. Yes,
7: Karen. Via- Viacom doesn't think it's worth 100. Viacom was delighted, delighted to sell stock at 85. They did a masterful job just to your to your yep. question. So. I would also say,
3: guys, that it's probably not far off where some company is going to develop a bundle for all of these streaming services by the time it's all said and done. Anyway, coming up on the show, don't X out of this one. Traders pouring into U.S. steel options as the stock climbs higher. We'll break down that trade in X when Fast Money returns.
4: Miss a
8: moment of Fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast.
3: All right. Set your clocks. 1130 a.m. Eastern Time tomorrow on Tech Check. Got a big interview coming your way. ARK Invest founder and CEO Kathy Wood. Aunt Kathy herself. That's right. Right here on CNBC. I'm sure she's going to talk about all of the things driving the action in ARK Innovation these days, including some of the short bets against it. In the meanwhile, check out shares of U.S. Steel. The stock is in rally mode today, hitting a fresh three-year high. And options traders are betting the gains will not slow down anytime soon. Tony Zane joins us with the action, options action. Over to you.
10: Yeah, Dominic. So we've seen U.S. deal up almost 400% this year alone, and it's building a base and it's potentially primed for that breakout above that $30 level, as you said. And today we saw some activity that reflects the view that it's going to be above uh, this level here over the next 30 days. Now, it did trade fairly actively. 195,000 contracts traded, which is almost twice the average daily volume. And the trade that we saw here today was 7,676 contracts at the September $32 calls were purchased for an average price of about $1.78. So this particular trader laid out about $1.3 million in premium to bet that U.S. Steel will be at least 8% higher in the next 37 days, which is an interesting expiration date because it is before that next earnings cycle.
3: All right. Price and timing. Curious there. Quick thoughts. Guy Adami on what you what mean for X here. Tim's been all over it through
5: $30. This breaks out. This environment has not been better since March of 2018 when
3: then President Trump put the tariffs on. I like this trade. All right. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show Fridays, 530 p.m. Eastern time. Up next. Yes. Your final trades. Stick around. It's time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour.
1: I'm a buyer of Domcoin. I'm a seller (laughs) of volatility. In fact, VIX up 40 percent over the last three days. I think you're selling VIX. I think we got through these Fed minutes. It's not our, but I think it's easier. All right. Karen Feinerman.
7: Um, maybe a little bit on the other side, but I like Dom as well. I think if the Fed is going to tighten or gives that hint, as it sort of did, that high multiple stocks are going down, so IGB short is my trade.
6: All right, Dan Nathan. Oh, I like that. I'm um, not being hyperbolic. I think that Salesforce chart is one of the best-looking charts in the market at the moment right now. All right, For CRM, brain. the
5: last trade there. And Guy Adami. Happy 90th birthday to Netta Andolino. She doesn't miss a show.
3: Uh-oh. Happy birthday. Scott's Miracle Grow SMG. <laughs> A cannabis play, maybe. All right. Thanks for watching Fast Money, folks. Mad Money with Jim Cramer is coming up right now.
2: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration.